Hey guys, welcome to the Quacks Podcast. Now today I have a fascinating interview for you. My guest is named Robert Wagner, who wrote the acclaimed book, Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self, which is now in its 15th printing. Uh, his book has been translated into many languages and can be found on both Audible and Kindle. It's very easy to get. And he also co-authored the book, Lucid Dreaming, Plain and Simple, with Carolyn McCready. Now, in this interview, we dive into the many potential benefits of lucid dreaming, what you can expect, uh, what you can do, and how you can explore in that realm. We also talk about some of the risks that you should be aware of uh, if you do choose to go down this path. Robert himself, he's logged more than a thousand lucid dreams, and he has taught workshops on it all over the world. So uh, if there is an expert on lucid dreaming, he is it. Make sure you stay tuned until the end, where I will give you some of my thoughts on the interview. Enjoy. All right, I have Robert Wagner with me today, and we're going to be talking about lucid dreaming. Robert, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Lucas, thanks very much. So this is kind of a topic that I'm not too familiar with. Um, I, I looked at it a little bit, but it was actually a request from a friend who has been having some lucid dreams and was like, hey, man, you should do a podcast about this stuff. You know, it's really interesting. So I looked you up and you were kind enough to, to come on. So let's start with telling the audience about yourself and how you got interested in lucid dreaming and, and how that became a book or, or two books now, if I'm correct. <laughs> Right. So uh, when I was a young guy, I had a just a pretty interesting dream life. Uh, you know, on occasion, I'd notice I'd have like a precognitive dream and and all. But it was when I was in high school, I was reading a book by Carlos Castaneda called Journey to Ixtalan. And in this book, he says his shamanic teacher, Don Juan, told him to find his hands in the dream state and realize he was dreaming. And, and there really wasn't a technique, but I, I knew about the power of suggestion. So each night before I'd go to sleep, I'd look at my hands while telling myself, tonight in my dreams, I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. Tonight in my dreams, I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. And I would just repeat that in my mind over and over. And on the third night of doing this, um, I became lucidly aware when my hands popped right in front of my face. And I realized, oh, this is a dream. So I got into this back in 1975, and the scientific evidence didn't come out until 1980. So I've had a lot of time to explore lucid dreaming, and um, I was so happy when the scientific evidence came out. Okay, and so how did that then become a book? Yeah, you know, so, so um, lucid dreaming is kind of like a journey. Uh, you start out at the beginning, and you just kind of play around in the shallow into the pool. But but as you discover and learn more about lucid dreaming, you keep going deeper and deeper. And after about 25 years of lucid dreaming, um, I asked some of my friends who were good lucid dreamers, I asked any of them if they were going to write a book and talk about the deeper level of lucid dreaming. And none of them had an interest. And I thought, well, I know so much about lucid dreaming. I'm going to write my first book and um, my first book came out. It's in its 15th printing. Uh, it's been translated into other languages. I've gone all around the world giving talks on lucid dreaming. And really what that first book is about is called Lucid Dreaming Gateway to the Inner Self. It's really about showing people all the incredible potential of lucid dreaming because that's, that's what people don't understand. Yeah. Okay. So I think most people know what lucid dreaming is, but just in case maybe some people are unclear, how is lucid dreaming technically defined? Like how is it different from regular dreaming? Yeah. So, so um, among friends, we would just say a lucid dream is when you realize within a dream that you're dreaming. But, but I know the American Psychological Association came up with their own uh, dictionary definition and, and they define a lucid dream is a dream in which the sleeper is aware that he or she is dreaming and may be able to influence the progress of the dream narrative. So that's their official de definition. But for most of us, you just realize within a dream that you're dreaming. Okay. So does that have some kind of difference in the brain compared to regular dreaming? Or, I mean, is it kind of similar? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, so uh, way back in the late 70s is, is when uh, some 
two different researchers, Keith Hearn in England and Stephen LeBerge at Stanford in California. They both figured out a way that they could scientifically validate lucid dreaming because up until that time, no one believed it and you know there was no scientific evidence and so people just ignored it. But what they both realized is that during the dream state, most of us have rapid eye movement. Our, our eyes are moving, moving around under our closed eyelids. And so they thought, well, wait a second. What if you brought a lucid dreamer into the sleep lab and told him or her, when you become lucidly aware, we want you to move your eyes left to right eight times, and we'll have a polygraph pad or a rim, rapid eye movement polygraph pad on your eyes that'll pick up that weird eye movement of moving your eyes left to right eight times. And so that's what they did. Uh, the first time it happened was um, in April of 1975. Uh, the lucid dreamer became lucid, moved his eyes left to right eight times. It was recorded on the rim polygraph pad readout. And so, and so the, the researcher, Keith Hearn, said, he's, he said it was like getting signals from another world, hmm. knowing that this person is consciously aware in the dream state and they're signaling that, hey, I'm consciously aware in here. And so the evidence came out, uh, the papers started coming out in 1980 and all, and by 1981, uh, people had accepted that you could lucid dream. Interesting. So one of the things I've learned about sleep and dreaming is is you kind of have two states of sleep, right? You have the REM sleep, and then there's the other stage, and I can't remember what that's called, alpha wave or something along those lines. And I've heard that in the REM stage of sleep, you, you tend to have different dreams than in the other. Is that accurate or is that uh, kind of off? Yeah. Well, um, so, so most dreaming occurs and you have REM, you have rapid eye movement. Uh, and uh, But you can have a dream within non-REM and you can also have a lucid dream within non-REM. So there's no rapid eye movement but you're having a dream or there's no eye movement and you're having a lucid dream. And so, but for most people, um, I, I would say probably 99% of their dreams are going to have rapid eye movement. Okay. So let's get into like what, what is in, uh, like what determines what is within a lucid dream? Is this, I mean, are there common environments? Are there, you know, is it parameters that your brain makes up from its everyday experience? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, I, I think what you see is a few things. Uh, lucid dreams are going to be as uh, unique as people are unique, of course, because what you'll see in lucid dreams is that lucid dreams often reflect what you're thinking about. And so, for example, uh, if I became lucidly aware and I'd been thinking about fishing all day, well, then all of a sudden I'd turn to my left and there's a lake and, oh, my gosh, someone left a fishing pole and, and now I can go fishing. Or if you're someone who's, who's thinking about, um, you know, a certain fun activity all the time and you become lucidly aware, there's a good chance that that's in your mental atmosphere, so to speak, and that's what you're going to encounter. But, but of course, uh, lucid dreaming, um, you could find that in your, that you become lucidly aware in your childhood home because you remember, oh, I don't live there anymore. Or you become lucidly aware uh, on some strange planet, you know, where everyone has purple skin or something. Hmm. It, it just, it just depends. It's going to be unique to your situation. Okay. And does the setting have anything to do with what you can accomplish within a lucid dream. Yeah. So, so in, in most respects, if you're an experienced lucid dreamer, the setting doesn't really have any, any effect on what you can accomplish. However, if you're new to lucid dreaming, the setting might in a sense kind of, uh, uh, cause your focus to stay on one particular issue and, and keep you from exploring and all that kind of thing. So, uh, so, 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 for example, uh, let's say you became lucidly aware because you saw the Eiffel Tower and you thought, wait a second, I live in Phoenix. I, I don't live in Paris. Oh, uh, this must be a dream. And you become lucidly aware. Now, 
if you're a beginner lucid dreamer, you'll probably stay focused on that kind of Eiffel Tower Paris reality. But if you're an experienced lucid dreamer, uh, then you know that Paris, what's, what's Paris in a lucid dream? It, it really has no meaning. So if you want to uh, uh, do something else, you can move into that unperceived environment by by doing all sorts of uh, various tricks or moving through portals or whatever. And and so so an experienced person sees the potential uh, that that Paris is just a place and has really no meaning in the lucid dream. But a beginner, you know, they want to explore, they want to go find the Arc de Triomphe, they want to go to the Louvre mm. and, and all that kind of thing. So so uh, so again, lucid dreaming normally reflects the mind. Uh, if you don't realize your potential there, then you're kind of stuck in that local environment. But if you understand the larger potential and what the lucid dream kind of represents in terms of freedom, freedom of mind, freedom to explore, freedom to uh, go beyond uh, physical limits, uh, th- then with that freedom, you-, you can do almost anything imaginable. Wow. So what, why do we have these lucid dreams over regular dreams? Like what is there, I mean, is there an evolutionary purpose or something like that? And does it mean anything if somebody just starts lucid dreaming? I mean, does that mean that they're in a stressful point in their life or something along those lines? You know, um, the, there's a wonderful study uh, done by Ursula Voss in Germany, and, and she interviewed 694 German school children who were ages 6 to 19 to ask them, have you ever become consciously aware of dreaming while in the dream state? And incredibly, 51% of the students could report a valid lucid dream to her. And I think even like by age eight years old, more than 20% of the students had already reported a lucid dream. And so I bring this up just to say that lucid dreaming is natural and that you know, a little eight-year-old is having lucid dreams just spontaneously. They haven't learned about it. They haven't gone to a website. They're not doing any special techniques or something. You know, they just realize some incongruity in the dream and go, oh, that's too weird. How can that be? Oh, I must be dreaming. And they, you know, logically deduce that they're in the dream state. So, so why do we have lucid dreams? You know, it's kind of like asking, why do we have moments of inspiration or why do we have moments of creativity? Uh, you know, they, they just happen. But when they've done uh, surveys of college age psychology students, normally they'll find that about 70 percent of them say that they've had at least one lucid dream. But then when they dig down into it, they'll find that about 25 percent of that group is having lucid dreams at least once a month. And that's what a scientist would call a frequent lucid dreamer. And then you'll find some people are literally having lucid dreams every night. So so why we have them uh, is a little bit hard to know, but that we have them is definitely the case. So is it pretty normal to kind of spontaneously start lucid dreaming, you know, maybe at some point later in your life? Yeah, you know, um, I I think it's one of those things. Like, like I remember my first spontaneous lucid dream when I was probably 10 or 11 years old. And so, uh, if you can imagine, um, uh, I, I was in the public library looking at books. And all of a sudden, uh, walking through the book stacks is a baby Tyrannosaurus Rex. So, so imagine a Tyrannosaurus Rex that's about three feet high walking through the book stacks. And so, so there I am, age 11, and I think, well, wait a second, how can this be? And then I realize, oh, this has to be a dream. That, that's the only logical explanation, and I became lucidly aware. And then I said, well, wait a second. If this is a dream, then I can wake up. And I told myself to wake up, and boom, I woke up. So, so at that time, I didn't realize all the incredible things you could do in a lucid dream, but, but I confirmed uh, to myself that I was indeed dreaming by, by waking up. So, uh, so we just spontaneously have lucid dreams. Uh, you know, there might be some sort of evolutionary aspect to it. Um, It's interesting that before lucid dreaming was scientifically validated, it's been part of certain spiritual traditions, like in Buddhism, 
Buddhism. They they have what they call Buddhist dream yoga, and uh, Naropa, who's in the 11th century uh, Indian Buddhist yogi, hmm. he said that he said that dream yoga was one of the six paths to enlightenment. And in Sufism, uh, they had an entire lucid dreaming practice uh, for the last thousand years. And in a lot of native and shamanic traditions, um, they use lucid dreaming uh, for various spiritual purposes. But, but of course, science isn't really uh, looking into the spiritual purposes that people talk about. But, but science is definitely investigating uh, what people do in lucid dreams and, and that sort of thing. Okay. Well, I think we should get into how can somebody increase the amount of lucid dreaming they're having or just start in the first place? Do you have a favorite method that you teach people? Right. right. Well, so um, the way I started w- was uh, just by looking at my hands each night before I went to sleep. So I, I was basically using the power of suggestion. And, and I was kind of using uh, what Ivan Pavlov w- would call uh, a conditioned response. So, so, so I think most people will know who Ivan Pavlov is. He's the Russian guy who he would ring a bell every time he fed his dogs. And every time he fed his dogs, ring a bell. Every time he fed his dogs, ring, ring a bell. Finally, he could ring the bell and the dogs would begin to salivate. And, and so they called the dogs salivating. They called it a conditioned response. They'd hear the bell and they'd begin to salivate. So, so in this process of looking at my hands before I'm going to sleep, what I'm doing is making my hands a dream sign that prompts me to lucid awareness. So I look at my hands before I go to sleep. Tonight my dreams, I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. Tonight my dreams, I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. I'd say that over and over for about five minutes, and then I'd fall asleep. And over the course of the night, each time I woke up, I'd ask myself if I saw my hands. But on the third night, I'm walking through my high school hallway, and all of a sudden, just like they're spring-loaded, boom, my hands pop right in front of my face. And and it was almost comical, actually, to see my hands just, boom, they're right there in front of my face. And at that moment, I realized, oh, my God, this is a dream. And it was so wild to realize that those football player guys, you know, they're they're just actually dream figures. And, And I reached over and touched a nearby wall, and it felt cool and nubby just like it would in waking reality, except I knew it's actually a dream wall. I mean, it's, it's not actually a, a physical wall. And, and I went on to just have an extraordinarily powerful lucid dream. But, uh, but I want to tell folks that that's one technique you can use for lucid dreaming. But another technique you can use is just the simple power of suggestion. And so again, before you go to sleep, you really want to focus on one suggestion like, Tonight in my dreams, I'll be more critically aware. And when I see something strange, I'll realize I'm dreaming. So tonight in my dreams, I'll be more critically aware. And when I see something strange, I'll realize I'm dreaming. Because in most dreams, we just accept whatever happens. You know, we can have a Hollywood movie star walk by us and we think, oh, wow, that's, that's cool. We just, it never occurs to us that it's even strange. We're driving a bus, then we're driving a car, then we're driving a motorcycle, then we're driving, you know, a skateboard, whatever. We just go along with whatever happens. But when we tell ourselves that we're going to be more critically aware, then we have a chance to notice, oh, wait a second, wasn't I driving a bus a moment ago? What am I doing on a skateboard now? And we can become lucidly aware. So, So I would say those are probably the most simple ways to become lucidly aware, but it helps to have good dream recall. Because if you don't have good dream recall, you might actually have a, good, a nice lucid dream and not even remember it in the morning. So, so you mm. want to, uh, along with this, you know, increase your dream recall to, to at least one or two uh, dreams a night just so you get that dream recall mu- muscle going. What's, uh, what's the best way to increase that muscle? Yeah, you, you know, uh, what I tell people is as soon as you wake up, the first thing you have to think is, what was I just dreaming? Because I'll tell you, if you grab your phone and look at text messages and stuff and, and 30 seconds later try to remember what you dreamt, it won't be there. It, you, you'll have forgotten it. So you, you got to grab that dream as soon as you wake up, and, uh, and that's probably the best way uh, to, to have good dream recall. Also, sometimes it helps uh, if, if you incubate 
um, you know, good dream recall that, you know, before you go to sleep, you just tell yourself in the morning, I'll be able to clearly remember two dreams that are interesting or two dreams that I find interesting or whatever. But if you get into that habit of uh, having a dream journal by the side of your bed and uh, jotting down some notes, or some people have uh, voice voice recording apps on their phone, and so they just pick up their phone in the middle of the night and until the dream and then put it down and, and all. Hmm. But it really helps to have good dream recall if you're going to go down the lucid dreaming path. I imagine some of those uh, those voice recordings are, are quite hilarious when they listen to them afterwards. If you've <laughs> woken up at two a.m., yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes uh, people realize, oh my god, I snored for twenty minutes in the middle of the night. <laughs> 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 Can't believe it. But uh, yeah, you're right. I, I'm sure, and and I, I wouldn't be surprised. Some people pick up themselves uh, sleep talking. Um, uh, you know, mm-hmm. on occasion. Uh, I'll even realize that I'm sleep talking, and uh, my my wife will normally confirm it in the morning. Uh-huh. So, is anybody um, is anybody immune to lucid dreaming? You know that they can't do it; it's not possible for them. Have you ever tried to teach someone, and they just said it just doesn't work for me? Yeah, you know, um, I would say that most people can become an amateur lucid dreamer who really give it a month or two of of hard work. Most people can, but but invariably there's going to be one or two people who who haven't. Um, I, I was doing one of my 30-day online lucid dreaming workshops, and, and I had a woman who was uh, she she was a Buddhist uh, of a teacher of Buddhist dream yoga, but but some of her friends told her that that I had techniques that were more accessible to the Western mind and all, so she was taking my class. And about halfway through, she still hadn't had a lucid dream. And, and so I, I I gave her some special attention. And even though I, I think she was around the age of 70, she had her first three lucid dreams ever uh, during the class and and really had her mind blown. But it, it does take some work. You know, it's um, it, it's not it's not everybody's cup of tea. But but if you put some effort into it, I, I would say 80% of the people are going to have a lucid dream. All right. So in one of your videos, you mentioned something called the principles of lucid dreaming. What is that? Right. So um, w- when you get into lucid dreaming, um, you know, at, at first you uh, kind of influence and explore the lucid dream. You know, you might fly around, you might do this, that, or the other, and, and um have fun with dream figures and all that kind of stuff. But as you get deeper into lucid dreaming, you realize that actually it's a principled realm. And and so like, here's an example of of what I call one of the reality creating principles that you see in lucid dreaming. So, so in a lucid dream, uh, I can fly around because, you know, I'm in, I'm a, a dream character within my own dream and I can fly through walls and all that kind of thing. And so I remember one time um, uh, I became lucidly aware, flew through a wall so I could go explore, Was went and explored this whole big uh, college campus. is really interesting, so really uh, some wild architecture there. And then I decided to come back to where the lucid dream began. And so now I'm flying back into the building that I flew out of. But on the other side, there were bricks, and it looks so solid and hard that right when I came up to fly through the wall, I had a moment's expectation that this was going to be trouble, and boom, I got stuck halfway through the wall. You know, I, I was half in and half out. Hmm. And, uh, and, and so what I realized was that that little bit of doubt was reflected in the lucid dream. That little bit of expectation that I'm going to have trouble that gets reflected in the lucid dream. And, and you'd also see this like with dream figures. So if I, let's say I saw a dream figure walk by me in a black coat, and I thought, oh, that guy looks dangerous. And then he'd turn around and he'd have a knife or a gun or something and you know, want my wallet. But if, if it was the same lucid dream and I saw a guy walk by in a black coat and thought, oh, he looks like a priest, then he'd turn around and he'd have a collar and a crucifix and, and all that kind of stuff. So you realize that your expectations are being projected out there into the lucid dream. And so, so that's why that, that field 
isn't neutral. It's picking up the projections of your thoughts. You know, if, if, you're, if you have fearful thoughts, fear will get reflected back to you. If you have thoughts of ease and victory and whatever, that'll get reflected back to you. And so you'll start to see that expectations get reflected back to you. Your beliefs get reflected back to you. Like a lot of people tell me, oh, I can only fly like six feet off the ground. And, and I tell them, look, that, that's a belief. That belief is hampering you. And then I ask them, in lucid dreams, is there gravity? In that mental state, is there gravity? The only gravity that exists in a lucid dream is the gravity that you believe in. And if I'll tell you, if you stop in a lucid dream and announce, now I know there's no such thing as gravity, then you can fly around like Superman. You can, you can just go wherever you want to go and just zoom around like crazy. So just by changing your beliefs, you change the environment because your beliefs are projected out into the environment. And so there, there's nothing really holding you back except your beliefs and your expectations. And, and then there's other reality-creating principles like your focus, your intent, your slash will, and also, probably the final reality-creating principle is what I call the larger awareness. Um, that's why I call my first book, Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self. In lucid dreams, if you know how, you can actually reach out to your unconscious mind, your larger self, and connect with it and hear it respond. So, so those are some of the principles of lucid dreaming, and and, and that's why... You have to understand them if you're really going to go deeper on the lucid dreaming path. Yeah, that's really interesting. It reminded me when you were talking about it, almost like uh, the law of attraction that some people talk about. You know, well, uh, right. if, if you think about money all the time, money will come to you. If you think about good relationships, good relationships will come to you. You know, it's but it's almost like, yeah, in this realm, it really does happen. You know, and I think that's one beautiful thing about lucid dreaming there you see the connection between the thought and the experience is almost immediate in the lucid dream realm. In the waking state, that's not the same. That's not the same at all. You, you might think about money a lot and money never comes or whatever. <laughs> but but, but I'll, I'll tell you, um, in my second book uh, with my co-author, Carolyn McCready, in the final chapter, I have a waking experiment that anyone can do who's kind of into the law of attraction. And, and I'll tell you why, why this works. I ask people in this experiment to pick a neutral belief they have. So, so you might be neutral when it comes to being funny. You're not really funny. You're not unfunny. You're kind of in the neutral area. You really don't think about it that much. So then what I tell the people to do 10 times a day for one minute imagine or tell yourself that you're the funniest person in town. You're the funniest person that there is. You are so funny that people crack up just when they see you and just <laughs> go on this, go on this trip for one minute where you're energizing that neutral belief about being funny. And I'll tell you, if you do this day after day, by day four or five, you'll be at the checkout line uh, somewhere You'll say something to the cashier, and everyone will burst out laughing. And, and you'll think, that wasn't even funny. That wasn't even funny. And then you'll be somewhere else, and you'll say something, and everyone will just scream with laughter. And you'll realize that you're projecting stuff out there. But, but the, the beauty of my approach here is you take a neutral belief, and you energize it, and then you see how the world responds. Because a lot of times people have issues, you know, about money or they might have issues about relationships. And so when they try to think about having money, well, they already have all these negative issues that keep them from having money. And so there's kind of this battle of beliefs going on. But with my uh, technique, first you take a neutral area, you know, like being funny or whatever it is, you energize it and then you see how the world responds and then you realize that. You do attract to yourself, you know, where your mind is truly at. Wow, that's really fascinating. So let's let's get to the meat of this. Like, how can this benefit you? What you know? What is 
What's the way to start? <laughs> well, so so uh, when you talk to lucid dreamers, normally what they'll tell you is one thing they love about lucid dreaming is just how much fun and how much freedom there is. So so that's one of the values in lucid dreaming. Normally, when you wake up from a lucid dream, the, the rest of that morning, you just feel like you're on cloud nine. You, you have this kind of lucid afterglow. But there's other reasons uh, and other values in using lucid dreaming. You can use it for like dealing with emotional issues that might appear as nightmares. A lot of times uh, people become lucidly aware in a nightmare situation, and I tell them to turn and face whatever it is that's chasing them. And and oftentimes, if you have enough gut, you can ask them, who are you or what do you represent? And sometimes you can finally figure out what it is, what fear it is that, that you're running from. And sometimes that's incredibly powerfully healing. Other people have used it to resolve phobias. People have used lucid dreaming to resolve their anxiety. And it's incredible what people are doing for emotional healing in lucid dreams when they realize how to go about it. Then also in both of my books, I have chapters on people who have used lucid dreaming for physical healing. So so uh, the first time I heard about this, uh, one of my friends, Ed Kellogg, <clears throat> told me about this woman he met who had these horrible planter warts on her feet. And she'd been trying to visualize these planter warts to go away, you know, for months uh, because they were so painful and nothing was happening. And, and so my friend Ed knew that, that this woman had dreamt. And so he asked her, why don't you try healing your planter warts in a lucid dream? And so later that week or that month, she became lucidly aware. She remembered that she wanted to heal her planter warts. And so then she created a ball of light, of healing light, between her hands, put it over each of her feet, intending for them to be healed. And when she woke up overnight, the planter warts had all turned black, and within nine or ten days, they all fell off and they never returned. And so the pain went away and, and all of that. So, so, so that's another area that I think people are starting to realize that you could use lucid dreaming to act actively influence your body at this deep unconscious level. Then you can also use lucid dreaming to interact with this larger awareness. And so so what you do in a lucid dream is you ignore the dream figures, you ignore the dream setting, and you just shout out a question to your unconscious mind or your larger awareness. And probably a good question to begin with is, hey, dream, show me something important for me to see. And when you ask a question like that, sometimes the entire lucid dream can change, or maybe there'll be one dream symbol appear that, that you'll go to look at and realize that it's somehow important. But it's truly phenomenal when people start to connect with this larger awareness and where they go with it. And then you can also use it to have conceptual experiences. So, so you know, some people who um, are really spiritually minded you know, they'll ask me, oh, could you use it, you know, to, to find God or Buddha or Jesus or whatever? And, and I tell them, don't do that. You'll, you'll get too excited and you'll, you'll get too emotional and you'll wake up. <laughs> so so what, 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 what I encourage them to do is instead I encourage them to um, ask to experience the quality of the divine. So like um, I, I was in London giving a talk and I said, okay, folks, do this. When you become lucidly aware Ask to experience, hey, dream, let me experience unconditional love and then see what happens. And uh, I came back to London about six months later, and this woman raised her hand and told the crowd that she had done that. And she said the resulting experience was so powerful that she had never knew how deep love could really be. She, she said that when she woke up from the lucid dream, she said she cried tears of joy for 15 minutes, wow. just realizing how incredible love could be. And so so that's, that's when you start to really get deeper into lucid dreaming, you realize there's a lot more potential here for education and enlightenment and, and healing and, and self-work. You know, most people just fly around and have fun. Most people talk about it being controlling. You know, for me, it's about relating to your larger awareness with, with greater thoughtfulness. And, uh, and and when you start to do that, it really becomes a transformational journey. Okay, so if I have this right, 
uh, say I'm new to this, I've never done this before, and I'm in a lucid dream, and say that, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm angry about something, or, or maybe I'm sad, somebody died, or something like that, I would just kind of shout out, uh, show me something about my sadness, or I would say, help me with my sadness, or something along those lines? Yeah, you know, um, yeah, so it really helps to um, think out what you're going to do in the waking state, so, so that so that you'll know what to do when you do become lucid and want to act. And, and so, uh, so what you, what you want to be sure you don't do is reinforce a negative condition. So, so, so what you might want to shout out is, Hey dream, show me the next step I can take to overcome my sadness or, or to, to, get to a happier place or whatever. And, and then, then it might show, you know, you riding bicycles out in nature or something and, and you'd wake up and realize, Oh yeah, I haven't ridden bicycles and I really enjoy that. And that always puts me in a good mood, but whatever it is, uh, you, you should figure it out. And, and, uh, and, and all I like show me something important for me to see just because sometimes we don't know at a ego and waking self level what what's important for us to see at that moment. So so if you think of the, your larger awareness or your unconscious mind as kind of a inner teacher, you know, it's kind of like, hey teacher, tell me something important for me to know at this time in my life. Then sometimes you get some really excellent guidance, um, and, and so that that's. What I kind of like that open-ended approach. Just show me something important for me to see and, and then see what happens from there. Okay. You mentioned reinforcing a negative condition. Can you talk about that? Because that sounds important yeah. not to do. <laughs> well, uh, so, so like, uh, uh, you know, uh, like uh, let's, let's say someone became lucidly aware and, uh, and, and they had a bad knee and they wanted to heal their bad knee, but, but they just shout out, hey, dream, you know, show me why I have a bad knee. And, and, and then the dream might show them that they don't exercise enough or that they, you know, have some anger issue or, or something, you know, you just never know. But you really haven't gotten too far uh, moving forward in that thing. You haven't resolved anything. Uh, so so, so that, that's why it helps to think of, of a question and put it in a positive, constructive mode so, so that when the response comes, it's something that you can act upon uh, to, to uh, you know, improve the situation. Okay, so something that is trying to evoke uh, an action, you know, what can I do about my hurt knee or what steps can I take to help my knee, something along those lines instead of trying to ask why. Right, so, so, so like my friend uh, Ed Kellogg, he, he's a person who's really interested in diet. And, and so he, he has what he calls a dream atarian diet. If he sees a food appear in a dream in a positive way, he'll add more of that food into his diet. But if he sees the food appear in a negative way, like, like let's say, you know, something falls into the mud or something, th then he takes that out of his diet. But, but sometimes he'll become lucidly aware and he'll shout out, dreams, show me, show me the most important foods for me to eat at this time. And then all of a sudden a table will appear and all these different types of food will appear. And, and, uh, and he'll find out incredible kind of personal suggestions for a good diet. In fact, he told me that when he started doing this, you know, decades ago, one time the the dream awareness, uh, the uh, unconscious mind, encouraged him to eat uh, dark chocolate, and and he he felt just stunned at that idea because back then people didn't understand that dark chocolate has a lot of flavonoids and various things that are actually good for people's uh, uh, health. And, and uh, but he went ahead and you know uh, started adding dark chocolate to his diet, and and then he wasn't surprised four or five years later when scientific evidence came out to that effect. But, but anyway, that, that's how wild it is. It, it, it seems like our unconscious mind really has a lot of knowledge and a lot of guidance if we'll listen to it. But again, you have to ask questions uh, that, that will result in something that's actionable for you. 
Yeah. Have you ever found that the answers you get back uh, end up being wrong or, or not good? <laughs> you know, I'll tell you a funny one. Um, uh, about 10 or 15 years ago, uh, uh, I became lucidly aware. And I remember that my uh, wife's birthday was coming up. And so I asked the dream, hey, dream, show me what my wife would like for her birthday. And all of a sudden, a teddy bear appears in the lucid dream. And I thought, what? My, my wife wants a teddy bear? We, you know, we've been married 20 years by that time. She wants a teddy bear? She's, she never talks about teddy bears. Anyway, so I woke up from the lucid dream, and, and that morning at the breakfast table, I, I screwed up my courage, and I said, hey, Wendy, uh, your, your birthday's coming up here in a week. Uh, do you think you'd like something like, oh, I don't know, a teddy bear? And she looked at me like I was a crazy person. And that's when I realized that teddy bear also has a symbolic association. So if a guy would be a teddy bear, you know, if, if someone called, you know, Lucas, Lucas is a teddy bear, that, that then we'd know that, oh, he's lovable and huggable and easygoing and all that kind of stuff. And then that's when I realized, oh, that's what my wife wants for her birthday she wants me to be more of a teddy bear, more, you know, all the all the teddy bear characteristics. Yeah. Uh, uh, so sometimes, um, sometimes in these lucid dreams, when you reach out to the larger awareness, you'll get a symbolic response that sometimes you really don't know what to do with. So sometimes you have to ha have to ask for clarification, which is what I should have done. But then other times you'll get a literal response, which is much easier, of course, to deal with. Gotcha. So it, it does seem like you are tapping into part of your mind that wants the best for you uh, when you're lucid dreaming. In other words, like, you know, from, from what you're saying, it doesn't sound like there are lucid dreams where there's some part of you that's trying to actively harm you or, or wreck your life. Is that accurate? Well, so when, when you reach out to your larger awareness, uh, you realize that you're getting in touch with that part of yourself that's more of a teacher and more of an instructor and a, and a helpful presence like that. But of course, in some in some lucid dreams, you may encounter what Carl Jung called the shadow, uh, which is the denied, ignored, or repressed parts of the self. Uh, like like one time, I became lucidly aware, and here's this big black Rottweiler, you know, snarling and growling at me. It's just five feet away. It looks like it's gonna you know jump up and you know bite my throat or whatever, mm. and. Because I became lucidly aware, this is what I did. I sent it what it was lacking. You know, I sent it the opposite of what it was sending me. So instead of getting fearful or instead of getting hateful about the thing or angry at it, I sent it love and compassion and understanding. And as I did that, it began to shrink and it kept shrinking and shrinking and shrinking until it became a little dachshund, a little wiener dog like we had when I was a kid. And, and then I picked it up when we went flying around the, the dreamscape. And, and so that, that's what I tell people to do in a lucid dream. If you meet some negative energy or negative dream figure, you can have a superpower. Just send it the opposite of what it's sending you. And, and if it's, in, if it's sending you hate, send it love. And if you do that correctly, you'll watch it change. It'll become smaller, younger, more friendly or whatever. And then you realize that as you change your mind, it, it changed. And so, therefore, it shows that it is a projection of you. It's, it's not, you know, some demon from the far beyond. It's a projection of your own negative stuff. But when you change your mind about it, it changes and uh, and you come to a, learn a lesson and and also resolve something on an inner level. So so it, that you know that's why I write books about this because it's it's a lot of fun and you can do a lot of transformational healing work, but you got to know how to do it when you become lucidly aware and, and so that's why I write books. Yeah, do you think that's a good idea to ask, you know, show me my shadow or help me integrate my shadow? Or is that just kind of like, eh, don't do not do that, man? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't think I'd recommend it. Um, in, our, in our second book, uh, Lucid Dreaming, Plain and Simple, my co-author, Carolyn McCready, uh, did that. Uh, she became lucidly aware and she, she shouted out 
to, to her, her unconscious mind, now show me my greatest fear. And suddenly in front of her is, is death. You know, the, the guy with the sickle and the giant hood over his head and all. And she said she got so freaked out that, that she immediately told herself to wake up. And, and, um, and then she rolled over in bed and saw that death was laying in bed with her. And then she woke up for good. So, so she got kind of a double fright. Ooh. But here's, here's what happened. She realized that she did have a fear of death. And, and uh, so she began reading books, you know, uh, about people dealing with death, people dealing with grieving, people dealing with all that stuff. And, and so about a month later, she became lucidly aware again. And she shouted out once again, hey, dream, show me my greatest fear. And, and once again, death appeared. And this time, instead of fearing death or fighting death, she accepted death and she stepped, uh, stepped towards death and the symbol of death stepped towards her and she gave it a hug and she said there is this brilliant white light and all this kind of energy exchange. And, and she said when she woke up, she, she was, you know, blissed out, you know, for a while. And, and she realized that on an inner level, she had come to terms with her fear of death. But that's how powerful lucid dreaming can be. It's uh, it's really profound when you have these experiences. But I wouldn't recommend it for um, a non-experienced person because you you don't want to meet your shadow unless you're ready for it, and you don't want to meet your greatest fear unless you know how to respond to it. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, you know the whole integrating the shadow thing with Jung. I mean, it can make it can help you be so much more powerful of a person in your life. If you can integrate that, it's just, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, just to share what one other story about that in my workshops, I tell people that they should always go to the area of the most energy when they become lucidly aware, if there is energy. So like if you become lucid and you see that there's a party going on over there, you should go to that area of energy, see what's going on. Or if you see an argument, you should go to that area, see what's going on. But one time, I became lucidly aware in a farmhouse. Uh, the the farm wife put beans on my plate, and I thought, "Wait a second! I don't live on a farm. Uh, oh, this is a dream." And and as, and as soon as I become lucidly aware, I could feel this energy behind me. And Carl Jung often said that that the shadow is often in the shadow's position behind us. And so because because we're denying it, we're ignoring it, we can't see it, it's behind us. And so I turn around, and there's this young woman smiling at me. And, and so lucidly, I pick her up and put her in front of me, and I ask her, who are you? Who are you? And she responds, I am a discarded aspect of yourself. And I thought, what? How do I respond to a discarded aspect of myself? And then I thought, well, gosh, if she's discarded, she wants to be accepted. So from my heart, I began to accept this dream figure. I just sent her acceptance. And all of a sudden, she started shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. And finally, when I completely accepted her, she became colored light that came into my torso and gave me this jolt of energy. And when I woke up, I knew that energetically I was different. It's like I had integrated with whatever this this shadow figure was. Mm. And it was about a week later, uh, I realized each day that week I'd begun thinking, I should try to write that book on lucid dreaming, that which was a project I discarded a year ago because I couldn't do it. And then I realized, oh, that's why th that's why I'm thinking about this now, because that woman represented all the energy I'd put into the first book writing attempt. And she was that discarded energy from that first attempt to write a book. But now I had reintegrated with her and I was able to write my first book. So again, th this can be really powerful stuff wow. if, if you know how to go about it. Yeah. One of the things this reminds me of, so uh, I don't know, maybe two months ago or so, I interviewed this guy uh, about magic mushrooms. He was a facilitator down in Jamaica. So people would go down to, J to Jamaica who had, you know, like PTSD or, or something like that. And they would take magic mushrooms right. for a few days and they would get relief. And a lot of what you describe about clearing out old emotional blockages, you know, finding yourself in a new reality, it kind of matches up with some of the things he was talking about with these halluc hallucinogens. 
And so I wonder, because one of the things I thought when he was talking about hallucinogens was like, you can kind of destabilize your reality. Like you can go too deep, you know, you, you can, you can take too many mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> so is there any risk of that with lucid dreaming? You know, can you go too deep down the rabbit hole where you just, it's like, maybe you get to the point where you're like, you know, you just need to start like kind of getting out of the dream world. You need to ignore what you're finding there or something along those lines. Well, you know, normally for the, the way that I approach it, I don't think you'll normally find that's the case uh, because I try to get people connected to this larger awareness or unconscious mind and, and see what it has to show them and, and, and help them kind of deal with things as they appear. Um, I think when you, you know, take magic mushrooms or ayahuasca or, or whatever it is, sometimes you're, you aren't actually ready for what you're going to experience. And, and I know some people integrate it and do just fine, but there's other people, they're not ready for it. They don't understand, you know, why did I see those images? Why, why did I have that experience? So um, um, the only time that I am concerned for lucid dreamers, occasionally you'll have someone get so deep into lucid dreaming that just everything seems dreamy. Uh, and and th then they have a hard time differentiating, you know, waking from dreaming and and that's when I tell them, look, you, you just need to set the practice aside, take walks in nature. Nature is really a healing place to be, and and you'll you'll get back to being your normal self. Whatever you do, just don't hang out in your apartment and listen to music all day. <laughs> you know, get out with people, get out in nature, and 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 you'll you'll get back in touch with this reality. What about uh, sleep paralysis? Because that's something I've experienced a few times in my life. Is that connected to lucid dreaming at all? You know, um, so sleep paralysis occurs. Uh, sometimes you're waking up in the middle of the night and you feel like you're awake, but you can't move your body. And, and so it's like your mind is awake, but the body is asleep. And so here again is when we see how our experience is reflected by what our mind is doing. So if, if we could become really fearful, you know, then we'll feel like, oh, there's someone robbing us in the house, or oh no, there's a, a burglar or a rapist or whatever, or an alien or, or God knows what. If, if your mind goes in a fearful place, that's what you'll experience. But, but if you can move your little finger, normally you can break yourself out of the sleep paralysis or if you can just relax, follow your breathing and relax yourself out of sleep paralysis, normally you can wake up. But I was reading a book by uh, Ryan Hurd, and that's H-U-R-D. He, he wrote a book called Sleep Paralysis, and, and I, I've met Ryan before at conferences. And he, he wrote a wonderful book on sleep paralysis. But what he figured out is that you could use sleep paralysis to move into a lucid dream. And so what he said, because he had so much sleep paralysis, he said that he would lay there realizing he had sleep paralysis. And then in his mind, he would go flying over a nearby park. And he'd just vividly imagine himself flying over this nearby park. And then, boom, he'd be flying over the nearby park in a lucid dream. And so he shifted the focus of his mind, you know, to something he wanted to do and turned that sleep paralysis into a lucid dream. So, so there are ways of dealing with it. But Personally, I don't. I don't think. I don't think sleep paralysis is really a great way to get into lucid dreaming. It just takes too long. It's too hard, and for some people, it, it just kind of freaks them out more than anything. All right. Well, you've definitely shared a lot of awesome stories uh, with the audience. Are there any other stories that uh, maybe are your favorites or that are amazing in some way that you haven't shared yet that you could share? Well, there's, there's some wonderful stories of people becoming lucidly aware when they meet someone who's deceased. And I remember I was interviewed by this one guy who told me that uh, uh, when he was young, when he was a teenager, uh, his parents had divorced. And then a few years later, his mom got cancer. And within a year or two, his mom died, I, I think, like when he was a senior in high school. And so he said after that, he was just angry all the time. He was just angry at God, angry at everything, just angry. So he became a, a, a bouncer at a bar. And I said, well, why'd you become a bouncer at a bar? And he said, oh, it was because I could uh, beat up somebody if they wouldn't leave at 2 o'clock in the morning. If they gave me any lip or whatever, I'd punch him and throw him out the door. He, he said it was a way of expressing his wow. anger. And I thought, wow, wow this, you know, this guy was really in a bad place. 
But then what happened to him one night he's asleep and all of a sudden his mom appears and he thinks, wait a second, how can this be? My mom's dead. And that's when he became lucidly aware. And so now he's lucidly aware and they're having a conversation uh, just pretty much like you and I are now. And she told him, look, I left some things with our family friends to give to you after my death. And you've got to reach out to them so you get what I had left for you. And and so he wakes up from the lucid dream and he thinks, wow, if this was really my mom, then there might be something to it. But if it was just a dream symbol, just a projection of my grief, you know, that then then that would be kind of sad. But he, he calls up these family friends and they go, good grief, man, we've been trying to find you for three years now. You just fell off the face of the earth. And, 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 and he says, well, is there something that my mom left for me at your place? And they go, yeah, that's why we've been trying to find you for the last three years. And, and he goes there and, and gets all these um, sentimental things uh, that his mom had left for him. And, and he said, after that lucid dream, he said he pulled his life together. He got into uh, coding and software program, programming he actually established some businesses and, and actually became very well off. But but he said that that one lucid dream, it resolved his grief and it also showed him that there's something more to life than just, you know, this physical world that we're wow. in. Well, one of the questions I like to ask my guests if there is time uh, and, you know, uh, I'm not sure how much this applies to you, but, you know, I'm just going to ask it anyway, because I try to ask everybody this, but is there any health advice that you hear out there in the mainstream media, online, uh, that you just think is bad advice? When it comes to the world of health, H-E-A-L-T-H? Correct. Health, or mental health, spiritual health, <laughs> any kind of health. Oh, boy. Is there any health that, that I think is really bad advice? Yeah. Wow. You know... um, I think whenever the health advice asks you not to resolve your own inner issues, whether it's anger or self-pity or hatred or jealousy or whatever, you know, when whenever that advice encourages you to continue to blame and not take responsibility for your own thoughts, your own feelings and emotions, that, I, I always find that not very helpful. I, I think people really have to come to terms with their own whatever negative mentations and, and come to peace with them somehow, resolve them somehow. The so, so, yeah, it, you know, there's, there's no escaping all of that. And uh, the quicker you come to accept it and, and deal with it, uh, the happier you're going to be in the long term. All right. Well, let's wrap up. Uh, let's talk about where people can find you, how they can get your book. And I think you also mentioned you had some kind of 30-day course or, or workshop or something. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that too. Right. So, um, so yeah, the, you can always find out what I'm doing at lucid-dreaming-advice.com, lucid-dreaming-advice.com. And um, you, you can see what kind of workshops I have going on. Um, here on September 30th of 2021, I'll be uh, doing a 30-day online workshop with IONS, the Institute of Noetic Sciences. So I think if you go to IONS.org, you can dig that up. Also, uh, here coming up uh, October 30th of 2021, um, I'll be co-hosting the Many Worlds of Lucid Dreaming conference. Uh, that's at GlideWing.com. And as part of the International Association for the Study of Dreams, uh, where I'm on their one of their board members and all. But uh, also, I give um, have a free online magazine called Lucid Dreaming Experience, which I've co-edited with my friend Lucy Gillis for 20 years now. And and you can always check out uh, our magazine by going to to uh, DreamingLucid.com or LucidDreamMagazine.com. And it's a free online magazine, a lot of inspiring stories. We'll do special issues on healing and lucid dreams and things like that. It's, it's just incredible 
uh, what people tell us they're they're doing in their lucid dreams. Okay, and the 30-day workshop, what can people expect from that? Is it kind of like a self-help, self-healing workshop through lucid dreaming? Well, it's it, we kind of cover the whole the whole area. So so we go through a lot of techniques, uh, about a dozen techniques on how to induce lucid dreaming. Um, then we teach people how to stabilize the lucid dream because, for example, if you get too excited, you'll pop right out. And then we get into how to go about these things like emotional healing or physical healing or accessing creativity or accessing your larger awareness or using it for spiritual work. Whatever they're, whatever they're interested in, we're there to help them. But it's a 30-day really comprehensive online class in lucid dreaming. And I'll give you all the knowledge you'll need for the next 10 years <laughs> of lucid exploration. So it's a all-inclusive trip. That's great. Well, Robert? Thank you so much for coming on. This has been great. And uh, I know that the audience is just going to love this. So uh, I really appreciate all this uh, wisdom and knowledge that you've, you've given us today. Well, thanks, Lucas. And thanks, everyone. And, and may the lucid dreams be with you. All right. That was the famous Robert Wagner. Uh, this whole subject is really interesting. You know, it falls into the category of self-exploration, which can be very crucial in finding better ways to be healthy and, and breaking bad habits. Now, I mentioned this in the interview, but what I was really struck by was how similar what he was talking about was to Magic Mushrooms from episode 87 with uh, Jonas Rosen. Now, after that interview with Jonas, I was kind of on the fence about psilocybin. Uh, on one hand, you know, I, I really couldn't deny that some people were profoundly helped by using these hallucinogens. But on the other hand, it seemed very risky. You know, you could blow up your entire reality. And, and Jonas didn't really have any hard and fast rules on how to minimize those risks. I mean, there was some there, um, but I, I do remember distinctly asking him, like, how can you tell if someone's going to have a bad trip or not? And it was it was like a very, it was just kind of up in the air. Um, it, it just didn't reach my level of satisfaction. So if somebody had asked me, you know, after that interview, do you think I, you know, should try magic mushrooms? I don't think I would have a great answer for them. I, I think I would kind of be on the fence. But after this episode with Robert, in my mind, Lucid dreaming seems to offer some of the benefits similar to magic mushrooms without the force behind a chemical substance, you know, making your brain into a certain unified shape in order to experience these past traumas or uh, the shadow or the subconscious. So now, if somebody would ask me, you know, should I do magic mushrooms? My answer is Try lucid dreaming first, you know, grab Robert's book and explore because you can probably plumb some of those same inner depths, but just in a natural way with lucid dreaming without getting getting into some chemical that could, you know, drive you into psychosis or something. <laughs> Personally, uh, I have been using his strategy, uh, the one where you look at your hands and, you know, you suggest to yourself, I will be able to see them in my dream and know that I'm dreaming. I've been trying that. Um, it hasn't worked out yet, but shortly after this interview, I did have a strange experience. Um, I spontaneously became aware that I was dreaming within a dream, um, and it was a bit terrifying, actually. <laughs> um, I woke up in the dream, and I remembered, oh, I, I'm dreaming. I have to ask a question, like Robert said. Uh, but I was feeling pure terror the whole time. I have no idea why. I was just, it was just, if you've never felt terror before, it's quite different than just fear or nervousness. Uh, terror has this soul-splitting quality to it where you feel like you're being torn apart, and, and you just, you need to run. Um, so I felt terror, but uh, there were these very loud noises as well. Um, it, it really reminded me of the feeling from the first Alien movie where uh, you're in some dark, dank hallway and an alien is is kind of stalking you. Uh, so I felt terror, but there wasn't, and there were noises, but there wasn't like a super obvious reason that I was feeling terror. So while I'm feeling this, I asked something like, you know, why am I here? Or, or it was something, it was like, it was the wrong question uh, and nothing happened. And then I thought, no, 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 you have to ask about something important in your life. So I asked, uh, can you show me something important in my life? And it was like, my question was not quite heard. It was acknowledged, uh, but the meaning was not heard. And, and there was 
like this deep, dark chuckling, like, like, (laughs) I don't know. It was almost like Jabba the Hutt or something like that. And this voice started talking that I I didn't really understand. I I can't remember any of the words that it spoke, but I got from it that uh, I was not the one who was in control there. I, I was not in any position to be asking questions. So I woke up from that and was I was just like, wow, that, that was kind of crazy. Uh, the terror left me and, and I felt fine. I, it wasn't, I wasn't afraid or anything after the dream. Uh, I went right back to bed. I didn't have any worries, but it was just a very strange experience. That is, that is for sure. Uh, it, it reminded me a little bit of when I was doing kundalini yoga and meditation uh, many years ago. I would wake up sometimes in the middle of the night with energy uh, running up my back and all over my body, and I would feel the same terror. So maybe what happened to me has nothing to really do with lucid dreaming, and it was just some strange flashback. I don't know. Uh, Could be that instead. Uh, But anyway, uh, I'm going to keep cracking at it and seeing if I can you know, get a lucid dream going. Uh, I am really interested in the potential for subconscious exploration with this stuff. If you do try it, feel free to let me know what experiences you have or write a comment on YouTube or Twitter. Uh, If you want to explore even more, I would suggest grabbing Robert's book on Audible. It reads really well. Uh, It's more like a journal with experiences and less like a a stuffy manual. You know, you kind of think of dreaming and and you think of like this psychological manual. It's not like that at all. Um, You could also sign up for his workshop this month, which I believe starts tomorrow, uh, September 30th. 2021. He has another one coming up at the end of October that you could look at as well. Uh, you can find his website in the show notes along with everything else he mentioned and his site should have a workshop workshop schedule. Uh, if you are listening to this far in the future, uh, you, I'm sure he has you know more workshops available. So thanks everyone for listening. Uh, would really love to know your thoughts on this subject and whether you have ever had a lucid dream before. And if you have, you know, what did you do? Did you ask questions? Did you fly around? Shoot me an email at quackspodcast at gmail.com or head over to the website quackspodcast.com. Thanks again. Be well.